Thank you, worship team. Good morning to everyone. When you come to church, you probably don't always think about the fact that some people are here for two services. And um, when you're uh, a pinch hitter like I am this morning, it's always interesting to wait and see how you're introduced, if you're introduced. Um, and David gave me a very nice introduction at the first service that I wasn't expecting. And so between then and now, I had figured out what I was going to say in reply. <laughs> and then he didn't use it. <laughs> um, so I guess I have to reply to say no. I hope that that wasn't chosen because I said it was my favorite hymn but because it actually ties in with the message. <laughs> but I will leave you to see if you can figure out if it ties in and if so, how. Dave also disclosed something that he didn't at the first service and that was that he's not into New Year's resolutions. Um, I guess I'm not either. Uh, there was a time when a number of my friends were and, and so I sort of tried to come up with something and had the experience that I think most people have of it not lasting very long. And so I stopped. But there is something behind the way we are created as um, cyclical beings. I have never been a student of rhythms of life, but people who are uh, talk about there being something very important uh, for most humans to uh, have something that happens once a year, to have a number of things that happen at different times once a year. And so because of the way uh, some people revised the old Roman calendar centuries ago um, to coincide with when they thought Jesus was born, and they came within about four years of being correct, um, we now live in what we call 2022. And lots of people, Christian and otherwise, are asking themselves, what is 2022? 22 going to be like? The Christian perhaps ought to be asking, what is God going to do in 2022? Will this be a year like um, those of you who can remember 1989 or 1990, where the history books will say uh, the Berlin Wall came down and then in the next year, the Soviet Union um, was dissolved. Uh, significant milestones that those of us who grew up in the Cold War probably said we never thought we'd see in our lifetime. Or will this be like other things we never thought we'd see, like 2001 with the terrorist activity and the destruction of the Twin Towers in New York City? or the now infamous 2020 and the start of the COVID pandemic. 
as long as you bring it up, oh, right, I brought it up. Um, what will this year have in store for us with respect to the pandemic? Will we finally start to see uh, it's diminishing some? Or, or will we keep getting new variants and learning more of the Greek alphabet? Um, I, I kind of wonder, I, I'd like, well, no, I wouldn't like to see any more variants, but if we have to have one, I'd like to see it named Omega, which is the last letter of the Greek alphabet, because then maybe that would really bring an end to it. Um, I don't know what they would have to do if it went beyond that, but... Uh, or what about your lives personally? You have any big plans? Dreams, hopes, maybe things already on your calendar? It was just last week when Nikki stood up here and confirmed some people's suspicions. She's gonna have a baby in 2022 and that's exciting. Maybe uh, you're gonna have a grandchild Maybe uh, you're going to graduate from something somewhere. Maybe you're going to get married. Maybe uh, someone in your family is going to get married. Maybe you're going to start a new job or uh, retire from a job. I guess technically as of the start of yesterday morning, I'm officially retired, but... Uh, as one of my friends said in response to our Christmas letter, so let me see if I understand you're retiring from teaching and writing so you can teach and write. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's about it. Just hopefully at a slightly less frantic pace. <laughs> what does God want to do in our lives personally? What a powerful prayer from Samuel Johnson, that as we age, our sins might not increase. If we become infirm, that we won't become bitter. New Year's resolutions? No, nah, I don't need one, but um, commitment like that prayer, that's good. So what do you pick to preach on for the first Sunday in a new year? Well, I picked Esther 6, which is just bizarre. Um, see, Esther actually probably is my favorite Old Testament book, and it's nice occasionally to preach on something out of the Old Testament, because when I teach, it's always the New Testament. But why pick it up in the middle of the story? I think it's the climax. I think it's the heart of the book. Um, I think it has something to say to us about seeing God, even in those situations where nobody is mentioning his name. If Esther is known for, for one thing in Bible trivia games, <laughs> it's what's the one book of the Bible that never mentions God by name? The answer is Esther. And yet God is there if we have eyes to see on every page of the book. 
but not in the sometimes in the dramatic things, but not just in the dramatic things, in the little things of life as well. Now, our regular senior pastor, Carl, is a master of summarizing large parts of the Bible in a few words. Um, I'm not. But here's my best shot at it. First five chapters of Esther... The book starts in 483 BC, 55 years after Cyrus, the first emperor of Persia, having defeated the Babylonians, has the largest swath of territory in the ancient Middle East that anybody's had single control over. And it's now a successor of his Xerxes in the Persian capital of Susa, who, in one of the more bizarre stories of human history, has deposed his queen Vashti for refusing to parade her beauty before a group of drunken male noblemen and power brokers in the kingdom, and started a prolonged beauty contest to pick her successor. A Jewish girl by the name of Esther wins. We want to put it in secular terms. Who is shepherded by her uncle Mordecai, who raised her because her parents were deceased. And Persia in the capital is a multicultural city where lots of people came from families who had intermarried and even people that we might say look Jewish came from a number of different Semitic people groups. And who knows if Xerxes cared what a girl's ancestry was if he was attracted to her. And so she manages to keep this fact about being Jewish a secret. As she spends time in her royal position, she gains more and more confidence, takes more and more initiative apart from her uncle, who also is appointed to some position such that he sits at the city gates every day, which is where uh, key business and legal decisions were made. But a complication in the plot arises with a man by the name of Haman, who appeals to the king for reasons we're never told, rises to his uh, second in command. And one of the customs Persians had was uh, bowing down very deeply to uh, honor other people. Command is given that people should bow down to Haman like you might bow down to a king when he passes Mordecai refuses to do so. It's not technically against anything in the the Israelite religion. Nothing said that Haman had to be proclaimed as God, but for whatever reason, Mordecai won't do it, and Haman gets more and more annoyed. To the point where he tricks King Xerxes. 
into issuing an edict, uh, irrevocable decree, the law of the Medes and Persians that says the ethnic group that is frequently rebellious against the king on the fringes of the empire should uh, have a day chosen by lot, roll the dice, and allow all her enemies to attack her on that day. It's couched in such vague language that Xerxes thinks uh, they must be talking about a group of people, oh, maybe as far away as Israel. <laughs> well, they were. But there were still plenty of Jews scattered all around the empire, including in Susa, the Persian capital, including Mordecai, including Esther, but Xerxes doesn't even know this yet. And now, it's been a while since Esther has been summoned to the king's chambers. See, he had a large harem. <laughs> Not every girl got to see him all that often, even the queen. And there was a law that said if you appeared unsummoned before the queen, uh, before the king, um, if he didn't like the thought that you had appeared, uh, he could order your execution. If he extended the golden scepter, it meant he was pleased and everything was okay. You could make your request. Mordecai talking with Esther in Esther chapter 4 sets up a couple of the most famous quotations from this entire book. In verse 14 of Esther 4, We read, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Isn't that something that derivatively we can say as God's people about all of our lives? Even if they're not all facing, uh, we're not always facing a crisis this acute. Everything that has gone into our lives up to this moment in time has prepared us for 2022. For such a time, as this. Whether we have some plans, we have some things on our calendar, or whether we just expect this to be another fairly ordinary humdrum year. Esther's reply is equally telling. She asks that all of the Jews in the capital city of Susa fast for three days. She will as well, and when this is done, the last part of verse 16 says, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I'll put my life on the line for the sake of my people and myself, 
and hope the king raises the royal scepter. Marvelously, he does. And um, he asks what Esther wants. Promising her up to half his kingdom. It's all he could promise without making her in charge. And somewhat coyly, she says, Oh, very small favor. Come to a banquet I am preparing for you and Haman today. And the king realizes that that's not her actual request, but that that's going to be the setting in which she'll make the request. And so they go and have the banquet. And now tell us, Esther, what's on your mind? And her answer is, um, let's do it again tomorrow. We've got another banquet. I'm, oh, okay, the tension is mounting. What's this going to be about? And Haman goes away incredibly delighted at being not just second in command only to the king, but second in Esther's mind only to the king that these banquets would just be for the two of them. But he passes by Mordecai again on his way home and Mordecai doesn't acknowledge him, much less bow. And the guy is so full of himself that once again he gets annoyed. And he goes home and vents, and his wife, who appears only to play two roles, one right before this chapter and one right at the end, <laughs> named Zeresh, says, I've got a solution. Build a giant pole in your backyard and ask the king tomorrow to impale Mordecai on it. Oh, yeah, that's how you solve your problems, obviously. But Haman goes, great idea. Okay, now I'm happy. <laughs> and that brings us to chapter 6, which I want to actually read rather than summarize. That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Chapter 2 actually tells us about that ever so briefly. We're not really sure why because it interrupts the storyline and then the narrator continues, but soon we'll understand. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this, the king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. You really got to wonder, does Xerxes know the double meaning in what he's saying, or is this just a coincidence? But when Haman entered, the king asked him what should be done for the man the king delights to honor. Oh, surely you mean me, Haman is thinking. Oh, I promise not to paraphrase. Now, Haman thought to himself, 
Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn, a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on his head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done to the man the king delights to honor. If you're like me, you're going, wow, this is a different culture. That wouldn't have been one of the top 500 things I would have thought of to request. But if we put it in modern terms, it's more like I would like to be king for a day. A few of you are old enough to remember a TV show that I only saw as a very young boy when my mother watched it, called Queen for a Day. This, if we put it in 2022 language, would be like uh, getting the Secret Service and the uh, parade of limousines and you ride in the presidential one and have all the protection and refreshments and attention and you're driven for, to the airport for a flight on Air Force One and when you get off, there's a podium with the flag and the seal and people are playing hail to the chief. Pretty cool. And then it's over and that, that day's done, but that would be a marvelous honor for someone. Go at once, verse 10 says the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested and Haman's spirits are soaring until the next words for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate do not neglect anything you have recommended and, and there are some ancient manuscripts that at this point insert the words, and Haman said, oh, no, no, that's not true. <laughs> you can imagine what he must have thought. Without a single comment yet about his attitudes, we read, so Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai, led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him. Talk about having to put on an act. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Excuse me while I gag. Um, Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home. And now we read of his emotion. With his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him, utterly humiliated, devastated. His advisors and his wife, Zeresh, take a different tone now. 
They said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, probably the closest we ever get to naming God in the text, you will surely, sorry, you cannot stand against him, you will surely come to ruin. But while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the next banquet. What a roller coaster of emotions. <laughs> Haman arrives at the court, swept into the king's chambers. What should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Here, make him king for a day. Okay, go do that to Mordecai. Oh, no way. Okay, I did it. Oh, Zeresh, you can't believe what happened. Well, you know, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> hey, time to go to the next party. And of course, the book's not done. He does go, things go south. He's falsely accused of trying to seduce the queen. Uh, they find a way to revoke the irrevocable decree by passing another irrevocable decree that counteracts the first one. The Jews are saved. Uh, a celebration called Purim develops and everybody lives happily until the next crisis. What a chapter. What a chapter where God is there, providential action in almost every statement, but never named. What are the odds? What are the chances that one night doesn't say this was normal, the king couldn't sleep, and out of all the things he might have tried, he ordered the book of the Chronicles of his reign to be read. A lot of jokes could be made at this point. Is that to put him back to sleep? Is that because he was arrogant and just wanted to hear all the accolades? We don't know. But what are the odds? What are the odds that, because these were detailed documents, the text, the scroll, should be unrolled to the place that talked about Mordecai foiling the assassination plot against Xerxes. What are the odds that in a culture that took honoring people who helped the king very seriously as one way to keep a king in power, <laughs> that this one event should not have led to any reward for Mordecai. What are the odds that at the very moment the king is starting to think about rectifying that problem, he hears a noise in the outer court? And that the person there is Haman, the very man who's trying to do away with Mordecai. What are the odds that he would craft this question as if you were asking just about a general principle. What would one do to the man you'd want to honor so highly? What are the odds that it would be Haman who would be the one who would hear this and therefore apply it to himself and wind up humiliating himself 
as a result. What are the odds that this would be the start of what his wife accurately predicted would be his downfall and ruin? Some of you have stories. I've, I've heard a few and we're still new enough here that I bet there are a whole lot more from people I haven't met or people I have met, but I don't know your stories of how without something that could be called supernaturally a miracle, you know, we use that term loosely. It was a miracle Joe got an A. Um, that normally does not refer to something supernatural. We know what it means, but uh, if it was Kevin, it wouldn't have been a miracle at all. Um, but uh, <laughs> I hope there's nobody named Joe here. Joe is sort of my go-to name when I need a fictitious male character. So, uh, yeah. Some of you have had stories that have, at the earthly level, uh, an explanation. On the road, broken down, far from a place where you're likely to get help and somebody comes by with very specialized medical expertise for a very specific kind of problem. There's nothing supernaturally miraculous about that, but it's such a coincidence that the more those kind of things happen over the course of a life or to a group of people, the more the person who has any religious sensitivity is likely to say it's easier to have faith in a God who did that than that it all just happened by chance. I can look back to uh, events that led to the two major jobs I had in my career, one much more major than the other. The first was three years at a college in South Florida in the 1980s, which I did not know was a possible position. I got a call from uh, the dean seven days, one week before the start of school, fall of 1982. We got a position in New Testament, wondered if you're interested in applying for it over the phone. My wife and I were living with my parents in Illinois, having had the euphoria of three years of happily wedded bliss in Scotland and no job and nowhere to go, so moving back in with my folks. <laughs> and the circumstances do not involve anything that defies a known law of science. But the fact that that position was available and that my name should be the one they would call when I hadn't applied, actually never heard of the college, made me say, this is the hand of God. And then it happened again four years later when we were overseas, seeing if there were other opportunities. Uh, the college in Florida was great, but the very administrative chaos that led them to think they had somebody coming a week before the school year when in fact he wasn't kind of was characteristic and <laughs> we were hoping maybe there was something better and uh, I had given my resume to a man who turned out to be a lifelong colleague 
here at Denver Seminary and in a pre-internet world, to, I had not heard a thing from him or any other person about the position for six months. When a phone call came in Cambridge, England, asking me would I be interested in being interviewed as the finalist for the position out of the blue. There's nothing that goes against the laws of science there, but uh, what are the odds? And you could tell other stories along the same line. Oftentimes, though, they're not that dramatic. I've had people, I've had atheists tell me, oh, if I could share stories like the ones you can share, I'd, I'd consider becoming a believer. Huh. Jesus said to Thomas, you believe because you see? Blessed are those who do not see, but believe. And I've had Christians say, I just haven't seen God do anything that I can with any confidence say shows his hand in my life for years and years. Well, what is it you're looking for? Well, you know, something, some really good circumstances come that I didn't have anything to do with. And I read Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.9 who says, God's power is perfected in weakness and his grace is sufficient for us. Carl has been uh, periodically this fall and into the winter challenging us to, uh, on a regular basis, he suggests doing it at night. I tend to do it at other times when I'm not so tired. <laughs> um, reflect on the last day or few days or weak, and ask, what has God been doing in our lives? A lot of the times we don't think he's been doing anything is because we're not paying any attention. <laughs> we're not thinking back. Did an idea come out of the blue? that finally made sense of a decision I needed to make? Did a, a person offer me words of encouragement or affirmation or warning that finally rang true in a tough situation? Oh, any one of those could have happened by numerous means, but the more we see over time as we start looking for them, the more they accumulate. And, and at some point, we cross a threshold where we say, this can't all be happening this much just coincidentally. There has to be a personal God involved in all of the activities of our world. Are you into New Year's resolutions? Make the resolution to look for God each day in the little things 
like uh, a sleepless night. A choice of reading material. A noise in the next room. (laughs) And who happens to be in it? Advice somebody gives you when they think they're talking about somebody else. (laughs) And, And the analogies don't have to be that exact to what we saw in Esther 6. If you're not into New Year's resolutions, then don't call it a resolution, but do it anyway. (laughs) Consider it a New Year's suggestion. (laughs) You know, like that new version, the Bible light has not ten commandments, but eight suggestions. (laughs) Try it. You might like it. What will 2022 go down as in the history books? Beats me. What will it go down as in the chronicles of the household of Blomberg? (laughs) Or, since I picked on him once already and survived, para. um, (laughs) Danger of having had me in class, I'll forever know you. Will it be a year where at the end you will say, well, I didn't see much of God that year. Because you were looking really hard and didn't see him or because you forgot to look? Will it be a year where you say, well, there's not a lot to write up about in the 15 highlights of my life, but God was faithful in countless little ways and maybe one or two big ones. Maybe for a few of us we'll say, yes, God opened spectacular new doors, did amazing things I never would have predicted. But let's not make that the bar or the norm. Let's be content with saying, that conversation, this new friendship, The fact that I was able to help out over here and the people were so appreciative. And I continued to pray faithfully for my unsaved friend or relative even though I didn't see any change. They're still alive. They still have time. Let's make 2022 the year of Esther's Amazing model of presenting God everywhere without ever us being able to prove it was God. Shall we pray? Father, thanks for sun that comes after snow and cold, which came tragically after fire for too many We suspect, simply because we live in Colorado, that there will be more fires somewhere this year. We pray that you would spare as much life and property as possible, but certainly life first. We don't know how many years you have given us on this earth, whether we will see the end of 
2022 and usher in 2023, or if for whatever reason or by whatever means you will take us to be with you, or take some we care deeply about and hope live long to be with you sooner than we would have hoped. Help us to be faithful. Whatever this year holds, help us to see you in all things working together for the good, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.